everybody, this is Randy Shandabel, and you're listening to This Golden State. You know, there hasn't been a California vacancy in the United States Senate for more than a generation, but the race to replace retiring U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer has been a real snoozer, so sleepy that even Senator Boxer herself hasn't bothered to talk about it much until now. Today on This Golden State, Boxer explains why she just endorsed Attorney General Kamala Harris to replace her. I was going to stay out of it, but I've And she talks about how shocked she is that so few people are paying attention to this once-in-a-generation Senate race. I'm stunned by it. Also today, Boxer talks about the presidential race, about sexism and Donald Trump, about what it was like when through marriage she was actually part of Hillary Clinton's family, And, of course, what's going through her mind now that her final day in Congress, after 34 years, is now just a couple of months away. Well, I could tell you, I'm not going to miss that. Senator Boxer recently wrote a new memoir. It's called The Art of Tough. Before we start, a quick note of disclosure. Two years ago, Senator Boxer and I briefly worked together on a California ballot initiative. I wrote and produced a couple of political ads that the senator was featured in. Okay, now on to our interview. Senator Boxer, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Randy. I'm sure you've heard this question before, but why leave now? Here's how I feel. I'm at the top of my game, and I want to do other things, still have a voice in the issues I care about, but I love California. I don't like D.C. I don't don't love those flights anymore, and Stu and I have been married well over 50 years, and... You know, I want to make my home base California. So it just was the right time. And I want to say this. I care so much about the state. It's really great that Diane is there because she's got that history, that knowledge. But why not open up the seat, you know, to the next generation? At some point, I think it's the right thing to do. As long as I know I'm not going to have a conservative in the seat. And the other reason is there's so many great people in the Senate who are going to pick up you know, my baton, as it were, on climate change, on women's rights, on human rights, on voting rights, things that I've just given my political life to. There are people who are going to pick up that baton. Are you surprised by how low-key the race has been to replace you? I mean, it's almost invisible. I'm stunned by it. Your races were always headline-making. This is, like, just not there. Well, these are two Democratic women running against each other. That's your phone? Yeah. That is so embarrassing. How do I get that ringtone? It, it's available to everybody. <laughs> it's one of the choices on the Apple phone. What should we do? Just let it go? Yeah, just let it go. Okay. <laughs> so we were talking about the race to replace you. It's so yeah, low-key. it and, is low-key. And, and you're, you're surprised? I'm shocked because, to me, the issues are so exciting whether it's climate change or it's voting rights or it's getting involved when Donald Trump says another one of his gross things. If it were me, I'd be all, all out there, but they're not me. It's the first time that a United States Senate race in California has been the top two finishers, and perhaps that's one reason it's so low-key? Yes, I think it's true. Two Democrats, the issues aren't as stark as they normally would be, especially in an election year. They're both supporting Hillary Clinton. So is, has it been tough for you to decide who to endorse? And who are you going to endorse? Well, honestly, I was going to stay out of it. But I've watched this race, and what I said at the start is, when I saw something happening 
that showed me that there was a difference between the two, and one was more progressive and focused on the kinds of things that I focused on, that I would get involved. I decided to endorse, and I decided to endorse Kamala Harris. I think she is the more progressive. She's going to fight hard for the middle class, for the poor, for a clean environment, which is so important uh, to my legacy, for jobs, for equality. I, I just feel really good about her set of values. Do you, do you like this top two finisher thing? I absolutely do not like this top two. I think this is ridiculous. I don't know why I never voted for it. The people, in their wisdom, voted for it. I'll tell you, it, we have parties for a reason. And I just don't like undermining the parties. I think it's wrong. I, th I just don't think it works right. So you have just a couple more months in office after 34 years in Congress, 24 in the Senate, 10 of the House of Representatives. Don't forget six years as county supervisor. Oh, uh, well. Uh, that adds it up to 40 years of elected life. Is this a bittersweet time for you? It's sweet, but it's not bitter. I'm not bitter about it. After all these years, more than half of my life in public service, I'm at the top of my game, in my opinion, and I wanted to leave at that point. I have other things I want to do, believe it or not, and uh, I'm so honored, I can't even express it, really, by all these years and the things I've been able to do for the people. I guess when I say bittersweet, I don't mean bitter, I mean... <laughs> happy and sad simultaneously a little bit? I'm, I, honestly, I would like to say, oh yes, I, I'm not sad. I feel like this is the right time for me to do this, the perfect time. And I've been blessed that way, Randy. I've always known what I want to do, when I want to do it. I can't tell you how many times people said, run for governor, run for lieutenant governor, run for secretary of state, come home to, I really wanted to stay in Washington, and now I don't. I want to come home, and I want to still be a voice in California for all that's good. You're, and that's what I'm going to do. You're not going to miss Mitch McConnell and all those <laughs> cross-country flights and getting up on the phone and hitting up friends and colleagues for money? You're not going to miss that? Well, I could tell you I'm not going to miss that. But I, w I do want to say something that might surprise you and your listeners. I do intend to help other colleagues. I have to, because, and I've announced that already. I'm going to have a political action committee to help my colleagues because I know how brutal it is uh, to raise these funds. I know how much money the right wing throws at my progressive friends, the Koch brothers, Call Rove, and I want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Now, I'll never match them dollar for dollar, but if I have a platform I think it will be helpful, and I'll be able to raise funds from people who believe in me. And so I do intend to continue that after I'm out of the Senate. You know, it's almost exactly 25 years ago to the day, you were still a House member at the time, that Anita Hill testified that then Supreme Court Justice nominee Clarence Thomas sexually harassed her. Well, as we all know, he won confirmation anyway but in a way, and you talk about this in your memoir, The Art of the Tough, those hearings led to the so-called, quote-unquote, year of the woman when you and four other women were elected to the Senate. So that was considered quite an historic achievement yes. at the time. Yes, and it was. If you look back to the Senate's history, uh, hardly any women were ever in the United States Senate. And until Barbara Mikulski won 
1986, I believe it was, we had never had a Democratic woman elected in her own right, meaning the ones prior to Barbara Mikulski got there when their poor husbands killed over and died and were appointed. So Barbara started it. But I just want to say for your listeners what I wrote in my book, The Art of Tough, that without Anita Hill, I never would have gotten elected. Because Diane and I were running, Diane Feinstein and I, it was a rare moment when two seats were up in California, and Diane was far more well-known, far more centrist, and far more electable, and I was running, and people would say, well, I'm already voting for one woman, I can't vote for two, and, you know, Diane is better known, and I know her better. So there was no way I was going to win, but I had decided to try anyway, because the House had gotten brutal with Newt Gingrich. That's a whole other story. So I thought, you know what? Stu and I discussed it, my husband, and we said, up or out. So when people then took a look at the Senate during those confirmation hearings, they saw on the Senate Judiciary not one minority, not one woman. And I got calls that said, you know, I wasn't going to support two women, but now I am. And so it's Anita Hill. And our fates were very tied together because without the women of the House marching over to demand the hearings, and I was one of six or seven, she wouldn't have ever gotten to testify. And without her testifying, I wouldn't have been elected. It's so interesting. And so it's, so, it's so you not, might have been, in retrospect, too progressive for the times oh, with yeah. that, without that happening. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. You know, California, remember, had elected Pete Wilson, Hayakawa. There was a whole list. Yes, my seat was Alan Cranston. He was very progressive. But our state was red to purple when I ran. And it was really, really amazing that I won. And I didn't even, I don't think I got over 50%. Well, you know, here's what's interesting to me. Today, 25 years later, we may soon have our first female president. So clearly... Something has changed, but there are still only 20 women in the Senate, and women are still being victimized. Powerful men, powerful men in politics are still sexually harassing and belittling women. Donald Trump crudely criticizes women's looks, fat shames women as well. So I guess what I'm getting at, well, clearly a lot was accomplished back in the early 90s. Still, in some ways, it feels if things haven't changed. No, you're wrong. We have nominated the first woman to be a presidential candidate of a major party. Do you realize what that is? It's enormous. And yes, you say there are only 20. When I ran, there were two. It is not easy to share power. Men don't want to share that power, I'm telling you. But thank God there are enough men who are strong enough and confident enough to back women. And I often say whenever I have an event, I always ask the women to applaud the men because I always make a joke and say, real men can support women. The ones who aren't confident and who are you know, completely jealous of sharing power won't do it. But no, I can't say that we haven't made tremendous progress. Do we have a long way to go? Yeah. And when we're 50-50 in the Senate, I hope I live to see that day. That'd be great. And just FYI, this election, if it goes a certain way, we could go up to 25%. Look, nothing good comes easy, as my father always told me. It's, it's a struggle. 
And in my book, I point out, you know, the hurdles that women had to climb before. For example, when I first ran for county supervisor, you know, I went door to door and I knock on the door. That's a knock. And somebody opened the door and say, who are you? So this woman opens the door and she says, who are you? And I said, I'm Barbara Boxer. I'm running for county supervisor. And she said, I didn't think you'd be so short. That was the first thing. So I said, well, you don't have to be tall to be strong in politics. And then she said, and anyway, I couldn't possibly vote for you. I said, why? She said, because you have four children who you're leaving home alone. And I said, well, first of all, I only have two children. And second of all, this is a part-time job, and the, my opponent has two kids, and he has a full-time job. She said, oh, no, you have four kids. I said, lady, I know. I gave birth twice. You don't forget that. At that point, I realized if I would catch like a missile that's headed toward her in my one hand, she wouldn't vote for me. But that's the stuff I faced. People would ask questions. When do you have time to do your dishes? You know, doesn't your husband make enough money? I mean, this, this was the 70s. But again, Hillary Clinton, clearly progress is being made. But as we speak, Donald Trump is saying, she doesn't look presidential. She doesn't have stamina to be president. Well, hopefully he'll get his clock clean for that garbage. I mean, seriously, anyone who watched the first debate saw who had the stamina. He suffered a meltdown. And he's a crude man. He's a bigoted man. There isn't anybody he hasn't attacked except people like him uh, who pay no taxes. So we ought to win. That's, That's what I think. And let me just say... The stakes are very high because if we do win, it shows that the country is moving forward. You just mentioned when you first ran for office in Marin County. So you wrote in your book that as you were getting started, your husband, Stuart, got more than he bargained for. Oh, yeah. I have My favorite line in the book is, he married Debbie Reynolds and he woke up with gold in my ear. Um, yeah, I mean, Stu kept saying every time I'd run for something, he said, maybe you'll lose this time. <laughs> so what, did, was he ever uncomfortable with gold in my ear? No, that's only a joke. Well, but you, you were a college cheerleader, so it's hardly surprising he was expecting Debbie Reynolds. Well, he was expecting Debbie Reynolds, and I was expecting to be Debbie Reynolds. But, you know, Stu and I grew up together. He, you know, in many ways, I was 18 when I met him, not even... And, you know, it's not like he didn't embrace the values that I embraced, and I embraced the values he embraced. He always was for equal rights for women. He always, you know, liked the kind of representation I gave him as his supervisor. And, and he, but he would always, he, Stu's actually a little bit to my left, and he'd always goad me on on certain issues. He said, you got to take a stronger stand. But no. He's I mean, to your he, left? Yeah, he is. Wow. So oh. are my kids. They think I'm so mainstream conservative. Well, you know, we're kind of dating ourselves with all this talk about Debbie Reynolds and Gold in My Ear. Maybe for our younger audience, we should say Stuart thought he was marrying Taylor Swift and ended up with uh, Janet Yellen or Cheryl Okay, I'll, that's for the next book. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hillary Clinton may soon make history. I'm not sure that many Californians know this, but you and Hillary Clinton have a deeper connection than just a political one. There was a time that you were, by marriage, actually family. Your daughter, Nicole, was married to Hillary Clinton's youngest brother. Uh, In fact, they got married at the White House when Bill Clinton was president. 
So how did that marriage affect your relations with the Clintons? Well, I mean, it was a wonderful time that we, the families came together. We had, we'd gotten elected the same time I got to the Senate and he got to the presidency. And so I got to spend a lot of time, our families did, together. And there were moments that I could ask him his opinion on issues. So it was great, and Hillary was so much fun, and she was rewriting the role of First Lady, which wasn't easy. But I would say, when the breakup came, uh, I guess it was, I, th- I don't remember. You, your, your daughter's days. breakup in yeah, her Yeah, I, I want to say five years later or four years. I, I don't know, four or five years, I can't remember. It was pretty devastating because to see a marriage die is devastating, and it was awful. And so, obviously, the marriage died, but the love of their son never died. So their son became the object of all of our attention to make sure that he'd be fine. And now he's 21, and he's a student at USC Film School. But So, so but your, your grandson mm-hmm. is Hillary Clinton's nephew? Correct. So we always focused on that. And the other person who was so wonderful during this period was Hillary's mom, Dorothy, because she really underscored what I was saying and everyone thought that we had to work to make sure Zach was fine. And so that was our focus. But listen, divorce is really difficult. So the way we really managed it, because it was a difficult time, was not to let it interfere with the work relationship. And that's but, what we did. But but in, in 2008, you did not endorse Hillary Clinton when she was running for president. You didn't endorse Obama either. As I understand yeah. it or recall it, you kind of sat that one out. Well, not kind of. I, I stayed neutral, but that had nothing to do with the divorce. That had to do with my relationship with Barack that I had and my relationship with Hillary. But As that, I say that, that had book, to affect your relations with the Clintons, I well, imagine. Well, I will tell you in a minute about that. But the fact is... You know, I was very close to Barack because he came to the Senate and he served on my committee, the Environment Public Works, with me, as did she. So I was very close to the two of them politically. There was no way, as I write in the book, it was like choosing between a sister and a son. It's an impossible thing. So I stayed neutral. The one person that took it really hard was Bill Clinton because you could see he, you know, when somebody doesn't, help his wife he, he, he takes it to heart and as I write in the book that's what my husband did too my husband still remembers Randy people who in 1972 did not endorse me in my one losing race he'll say how could you talk to that blankety blank I said Stu it's a million years ago get over it you know <laughs> so I totally got that that Bill was not happy and when I ran in the last time, he didn't really help me. He would just sort of stood off on the side. I got it. It's okay. But your relations with Hillary Clinton were fine during that period. They were always fine. And, and You focused on Zach. We did. And also now, we're all fine all around. Is and I am working so hard for Hillary. I'm making up for lost time. <laughs> so I hope you're not tired of hearing this question, but you and Senator Feinstein have a lot in common. You were... Both elected the same year. You're both Jewish women when not many Jews were elected to the Senate and not many women were elected to the Senate. And you're both from Northern California, which isn't the population base of California. Are you close all these years later? Oh, Diane and I love each other, really. It's a very warm and cordial and wonderful relationship. 
Perhaps because you're a bit more liberal than Dianne Feinstein is, and perhaps because you're so outspoken you certainly don't mince words. She is a bit more cautious with her words than you seem to be. Uh, there are some moderate Republicans who find Senator Feinstein acceptable, but you, <laughs> you are a bridge too far for them. Is That's, that okay with you? Of course. Look, moderate Republicans, conservative Republicans don't cotton to the way I fight for the middle class and the poor people, but in the environment. But liberal Republicans have always been on my side. Well, speaking of that, there, I imagine, aren't many Californians who are neutral about you. They either really, really like you or your kind of out there style really rubs them the wrong way. There aren't many people who are lukewarm about Barbara Boxer. Good, that's how I want it. I don't want to be some neutral, boring, scared of my shadow kind of person. That's not why I'm on this earth. You know, it's disrespectful to people to not really say what's in your heart. And if it turns somebody off, I accept it. But what I've hoped that I've been able to prove through the years is that someone who does speak from their heart and doesn't mince words, as you say, and is right out there with her feelings or his, uh, can get elected. Not once, not twice, but 11 times. Looking back, what legislative fights are you most proud of? setting up the very first federal funding for after-school care for our children, which is covering well more than a million children across this country. We never had it before. The first ever comprehensive casualty care center for our veterans in California, the worst, worst wounds. They used to have to go to Texas. They used to have to go to Walter Reed. Now they go to San Diego. That was another one. A million acres of wilderness setting up the first drinking water standards to protect our most vulnerable people, which are our uh, kids and people with AIDS and people with cancer, because they used to set the standard to a healthy 150-pound man. Now they say, we're going to set it to protect others. Um, a five-year highway bill that I passed about a year ago, which is fabulous, more money than we've ever spent, fixing the roads, bridges, and highways, millions of jobs, a water bill we just passed. But there's so many that it would just take all day to go through it. What about the ones that got away, your biggest fights that didn't oh, yeah. end up the way you wanted, biggest regrets? Well, the biggest one that got away was climate change legislation. We fell six votes short. We would have put a price on carbon. And what I said when we lost it was so sad because every Republican ran away. They were before they were for it, then they're not for it anymore because the Koch brothers and all the money. So that was sad because if we had put a price on carbon, we'd ha we would have even more solar energy today, geothermal, clean energy. So that was a very sad, sad moment for me. You seem healthy and I... Well, yes, I am. And, and I presume your supporters think that had you decided to run for re-election, you could have won re-election probably easily. Are you having any second thoughts at all? <laughs> no, when you keep asking me that, I don't. And again, why? Because it's my time to do something else. While I'm still perky and peppy and happy, and I've given more than half my life to elected office, and I'm ready to come home to the state I love so much. Remember, I moved to California when I was 25 years old, 
from the East Coast. I love California. Then I wound up commuting back to the East Coast. I want to come home and, and work from here. Well, here's why I keep asking. There's a reason, and okay. it's not, I'm not equating my career with yours by any means, but I was a broadcast journalist I know. for almost as long as you've been in Congress. Yeah, you asked me many a tough question. And I decided to leave early. I quit when I was 59. I could have served longer. My station wanted me to continue, but I decided I had to leave because my industry was changing in a way yeah. that I didn't really like. And I recall that as it got near my quote-unquote retirement date, that part of me felt exhilarated. I felt like I was growing wings. I felt like I was ready to fly. But another part of me felt almost like I was dying because I felt that I was born to do what I had been doing, that I was still really at the top of my game, like you feel you're at yes. the top of your game. So I kind of simultaneously felt really gleeful and really sad. And <laughs> I just thought you might be feeling the same, but I well, guess Randy, not. Well, Randy, I'm a lot older than you were when you decided to do something else. Think about it. Yeah. I mean, I am 75 years old. Let's be clear here. I'm not 59 years old. <laughs> I'm perky. I'm healthy. And the rate I'm going, I could go a long time. But I didn't change when I was 59 or 69. So when it was the right time for me, I knew it. My state had turned blue. I wasn't worried. There were enough people in the Senate to carry on my issues. Let's give someone else a chance from the generation down. And all of that put together, I mean, I wish I could answer your question the way you want me to. Oh, no, I don't want to you to answer. I'm happy for you that you don't feel like no, I do. No, I don't. I yeah. do not. And it's, you're not the only one asking me. No one could believe it. Let me, let me just say something else. There is a sense out there that when you're a politician, that is your whole identity. Okay? And there are some people that that is true about. Their whole identity is as a senator, a congressman, a mayor, whatever. I've, I've been fortunate in that I've had a very strong family life, which has grounded me into a totally different place. And, you know, there are some people, for example, who get married once they're in public life, so even their spouse sees them. <laughs> you know, I married a mayor, or I married a congresswoman. My husband married a cheerleader in college, you know. I'm just saying it's a different thing, and all I'm saying is how fortunate am I that I've had 40 years being able to make life better for people in every way, shape, or form, whether it was as a county supervisor making a street safer by putting up a stop sign. They used to call me the stop sign queen because people would come to my office and say, I'm so afraid that my little Betsy is going to get run over, and I'd say, we're putting in a stop sign. And, you know, small things to then going to the Congress and being able to vote against certain wars that, you know, the war in Iraq. You talk about my biggest regret that I wasn't able to stop it sooner. I did every single thing in my power, and I could not do it. Some of the things you just talked about being proud of having a big part in are kind of up in the air as we approach this election. If uh, Donald Trump wins, he will try to undo Obamacare. Uh, try to undo the climate change legislation that is there, what, what you know, well, what there is. Well, it's not legislation, it's executive orders, and you're absolutely right. We had no legislation. And he'll try to turn back the table on a woman's right to choose as well through the Supreme Court. So you must be really concerned about this. Well, no, because he's not going to win. 
we're going to, we can't allow it. I mean, let me put it this way. I strongly believe he will be defeated and Hillary Clinton will win. I really believe this. So I'm not worried about a Supreme Court that would overturn Roe. So I think I'm pretty much done asking yeah. anything that's important to me. Is there anything that you'd just like to say to your constituents as we uh, get ready to sign off here? Oh, yes. I can never thank them enough for putting their faith and trust in me. And um, it has been really amazing. And even the ones that haven't put their faith and trust in me, in some ways, you know, I've tried to earn their respect. And, and, and you obviously can't earn everybody's respect. I've, I get hit by the far right multiple times a day uh, in the worst tweets that I can't even repeat. And in a strange way, that's also wind at my back because I did learn early on, you can't be loved by everyone. I've been just a lucky person to get this chance to, to make life better for so many people. And um, so thank you to everyone within the sound of uh, my voice. Whether you supported me or not, it's just been a fabulous, fabulous time. And I will still have a voice out there. It's not like you, Randy. It's in a different format, a different way. But my voice will be out there. I'll wait for the train. Well, I'll just speak over the train. Oh, as I love the train. Well, <laughs> well as a train rumbles by. <laughs> uh, Perfect metaphor. Let's just hope it's not headed out to the sunset, you know? <laughs> Senator Barbara Boxer, thank you so much for joining us today, and congratulations on your career. Randy, thanks, and back to you the same. Congratulations to you. Though next month's election will render Senator Boxer a so-called lame duck, her official last day in office is January 3rd. You can find this Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on San Francisco Magazine's website. If you like us, put a review on iTunes. Ideas? Shoot me an email to shandabel at shandabel.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.